0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Elated, the podcast. I'm Arielle, and I care about your mental health. Over the last few years, I've built a business with a mission to destigmatize the conversation surrounding mental health maintenance, using food as a starting point. I found that educating people on how our gut-brain connection, and don't worry, I'll explain what that is, influences our mood, feelings, cognitive abilities, and so much more created a comfortable space to talk about what it means to take care. My goal has always been for people to talk about their emotional health the same way we talk about physical health. And in this time and space, I think we can all agree on how important this is. Every week, I'll be sharing conversations with friends and professionals whose expertise is in a space that contributes to our mental well-being. I'll be asking for their take and tips on topics we all think about, but few of us talk about. Whether it's mental health and money, motherhood, meditation, or anything really, I'm committed to throwing out the taboo to get the conversation going. So I'm really excited you're here. And let's get started. Today's conversation is with Della Hyman, founder and CEO of the Winwood Yard, Miami's first culinary incubator and community hub. The Dural Yard, an expansion of her Winwood concept, and Delibles, a vegan fast casual concept that you can now find at the Dural Yard. Together, we talk about the role mental health plays in entrepreneurship and what she's learned along the way. All right, let's hear what she has to say. You, by all measures, are a successful entrepreneur here in Miami that people really look up to. Um, I think it's fair to say that people see you really as a success story. You brought in our first culinary incubation space while also building out your own business for the people in Miami, Delables, which is a delicious plant-based fast casual concept. When I was connecting with you before, you were honest enough to say that people don't really talk enough about the mental health component of entrepreneurship. So from your position now, what do you feel needs to be addressed most that wasn't when you were coming up?
1: Thanks so much for the kind words. I really appreciate it. And super happy to be having this conversation with you. And yeah, I I really couldn't agree more. And I I think it's a really important topic that needs to be discussed um, in a more open and authentic way, because I think in general, entrepreneurship, um, and running a business in general, can just be very, very stressful. Um, And there's a big mental health component in terms of like learning how to manage your own mental health and protect your energy especially I think more than ever at times like this during the COVID-19 pandemic, where everything just seems to be a little bit more complicated. I think um, for me, like to answer the question of what is the most important thing that needs to be addressed or discussed, I think um, it's really just like that honesty and openness about creating more of a conversation around this topic, because I think that there are so many types of wisdom and techniques and approaches that can be employed to create a better environment around mental health when especially when it comes to running companies Um, but I think that all just starts with people's willingness to actually have an honest dialogue about it and to be open about their own experiences and their own challenges I think we live in a world where um, a lot of people just you know with Instagram and Facebook everyone wants to project out this image of perfection and of stability and of everything going well all the time and they want to kind of share their celebrations and their wins, but not really talk about um, what's going on that's not working out so well. And I think it is interesting because in the end of the day, at least for me, I tend to connect and really admire and look up to people who are um, way more honest about their vulnerabilities and their failures and their challenges. And I think as, you know, in humankind in general, we tend to really connect and root for the people who don't have it all going, you know, perfectly well all the time but have um, really had to overcome challenges, whether they're in ch- challenges in their own um, minds and their, in their own bodies, or challenges that you know, relate to more external circumstances. So I think where we really have to begin is just being honest and, and having a dialogue that is real and truthful and can help others learn from our own experiences.
0: I obviously couldn't agree more. And I think you now have a very privileged position of being on both ends where you have the perspective of coming up and all of the struggles that you may have experienced as you were building your business to now running a successful business and being able to implement all of those kind of mental health safeguards that you were mentioning. One thing I want to touch on is, is this notion of vulnerability that you mentioned. And I think vulnerability really plays into the risk component of the world of entrepreneurship. I think risk kind of encompasses vulnerability, our egos, our self images, self worth. And so how did you muster the courage to really put yourself out there? And what demons did you face along the way as you were doing that?
1: And um, that's a great question. I think that for me, um, I come from a family of very entrepreneurial people who take a lot of risk and um, I'm Jewish and my grandfather and great-grandfather were Holocaust survivors and they came to this country and really um, always had the attitude that, you know, you have to, you have to build what you want to build for yourself. And Um, you have to be able to like rely on your community and your friends and your family to make that happen. But at the end of the day, like you really have to just like put in the grit and the perseverance and the resilience to create the life that you want to create. And then that's on my dad's side of the family. And then my mom's side of the family also has had a lot of entrepreneurs in it. And both of my parents are pretty creative and entrepreneurial. Um, And so I think I kind of grew up swimming in a lot of that water, which was like, be creative, um, and don't be afraid to take risks. And when I think about the way that my parents raised me, they kind of, in a lot of ways, I feel like I grew up in a pretty sheltered environment because I grew up in Ohio and I grew up in like a pretty tight knit, very, you know, lovely um, Midwestern community where everyone's very nice. I also kind of looking back on it, realized that my parents were really open to me taking a lot of different types of risks, whether it was like, you know, doing, you know, rock climbing or like crazy physical things that might have um, looked to at least other parents as being more dangerous. They kind of never blinked an eye to, you know, traveling around the world or backpacking in countries where I didn't have a cell phone and, you know, things could have gone terribly wrong and they just kind of let me go and do my thing and and have those experiences. Um, And so I think growing up in an environment where my parents really encouraged me to take risk helped set me up for that. And then also um, I grew up in their family business and they were never shy about letting me take part in different projects. I remember I would, you know, often come in when I was in high school or college and I had breaks, I would come in to my mom's office and she would just sort of start giving me random projects to do um, that were on her list of things to do. And you would think as a teenager, it would be really hard for me to kind of jump in and figure it out. But she always said, you're smart, you can figure it out. And she would sort of just start giving me email addresses or tell me where someone's desk was and then say, you know, go to this person and figure out the process and they'll help you. Um, and so I think all of that helps set me up for being um, more tolerant of risk and more ready to take on that challenge. Um, but I also think that there was a lot of ego involved in the sense that at the age that I moved to Miami and started my company, I think I was really in a place where I felt like I needed to prove something to the world or prove something to myself or prove something to my parents. And it's funny, because I think, you know, the longer that you're um, running your own business, I think those factors um, start to kind of wither away. And what it really becomes, you know, about for me now is like, what am I? What 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 is our mission? What is our purpose? And what are we doing to make a positive mark on the world? And I think in the beginning, I talked a lot about that. And I think that was a lot of my driving force. But I also think there was like this ego and trying to prove something. And so um, I've really had to work through that and I've had to work through a lot of like separating myself from the business and my identity from the business because I think when those two things get twisted together, it can get really dangerous for your own sense of self-worth and you start to, um, every time the business goes well, you feel great about yourself and then inevitably when things don't go well with the business, when you I had one business that completely failed... Um, the other businesses that I've run have had moments of, you know, great, great excitement and success. And they've had moments of things going really off the rails and, and going really poorly. And, um, I've, I've really had to work over time with separating and kind of detangling, um, my own identity from, from the identity of the business. Cause I, it can get into a, a dark place if you're not very mindful and aware of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, First, thank you so much for your honesty. I think that is critical in helping move this conversation and giving a really holistic and and real picture of what the experience is like. For people who don't have that community, who didn't come up in that space, I think it's very commendable that you created that community for others. And as an incubating space, an, an individual had a collective to lean on. I, I definitely
1: think that community is really everything. It's at the core of what we do as a business. But I think also for me personally and like my own mental health You I know, mean, my family is kind of my my rock. But beyond that, I really I mean this so sincerely, like without dozens and dozens and dozens of people on my team and in the broader community who have supported me and given me so much of a foundation and so much support when things were not going well um, and when things are going well, but especially when they're not, not nothing that we, that we do would exist. So there's definitely a tremendous power in having a support network and really not being afraid to call and lean on people
0: for that support. Right. And that perfectly segues into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is the notion of vulnerability as a woman, as a female entrepreneur, because that's really mm-hmm. the only perspective that both of us can, can speak from. I think that is such a a careful balancing act. How do you balance appearing strong and claiming your seat at the table, but also feeling comfortable in those I don't know moments or the I need help moments?
1: So, I'm loving all these questions, by the way. So, I've never felt as a woman that there are more barriers to me in this industry or being an entrepreneur as a woman. And I think some of that just comes from, again, my family and the fact that. You know, when I was a little kid, my dad would take me to business meetings with him and sometimes we would be in countries where women don't traditionally have leadership roles. And he would sort of introduce me as like the per- person who was going to run his the business eventually, which I'm not doing that. My brother is, who my brother's amazing. Um, but I think that I, he always sort of primed me to believe that as a woman, I could do the same or better as a man. And so um, I was sort of lo- really, really lucky, I think, to grow up in that environment. And then I have a mom who also has worked professionally her whole life and is a really strong and talented and creative leader. And so I always saw her as a role model for me. Um, And I think that set me up to just be pretty confident that there weren't going to be barriers for me as a woman. And so I think part of that was just my mentality. But I do think that the way that people see us can be different. And I think for me, I have just really tried to lean in to all the amazing qualities that make women so special and to use those to my advantage instead of seeing that as like a a weakness. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is like, I have had moments where I literally have like burst into tears in front of city officials or permitting people that work in permitting offices that weren't being as helpful as I needed them to be. And Mm -hmm. I've kind of like used that to my advantage. And people always laugh. They're like, how did you figure out the legal zoning and building components of getting this crazy project off the ground. And I'm like, well, sometimes I just tried to be really charming. And sometimes I just (laughs) started crying, like whatever I needed to do on that day. And it's funny because you wouldn't see like a man in his twenties going into an office and getting all teary eyed and saying, you just have to help me. I need help. But for me, I just said, you know what, whatever's going to work right now, whatever's going to like, you know, and I don't mean to sound really manipulative, but I just realized (laughs) that, you know, and sometimes like women have a different can have a different technique for getting things done. And so for me, I've just like tried to use that to my advantage and really like help people understand that there's a human being behind this business because sometimes people forget that. And I'm like thinking of one time, which was probably the most difficult thing that I've ever gone through professionally, which is that we started um, a food hall in Jackson Health District. It was supposed to be the first wellness focused food hall in a healthcare setting. Basically the business, completely flopped. And within six months, we had to close it. And we had about 60 people working there. And I had to stand up in front of the whole team and tell them that they were all going to lose their jobs and we were closing the business. And so I stood out there and I made my speech that I had prepared. And then one of the guys on the team who was one of our cooks and um, who worked on the line just said, when I finished, he said, Della, we love you. And I just literally started hysterically crying. And I was and like, part of me was like, Oh, my gosh, am I really crying right now in front of all these people. But I think for them, afterwards, people told me that it was like, just such a human moment. And like, for them to see that it was as painful for me as it was for them, I think really brought us all together more, even though it was a really challenging time. And I think the last thing I'll say on this point is that, you know, as a woman, I'm not only a woman in, in an industry that's male dominated, but I'm also a woman in an industry that I knew literally nothing about when I decided to go into it. And I was also pretty young and I had no restaurant experience at all. And I really had no operating experience. I had no experience with construction or all the different things, all the different disciplines that are relevant to the work that we do. And so for me, I've really always had to go into it with an energy of leaning on people who are, have more experience than me and have more expertise than me and going into it with a really collaborative energy. And I think those are just things that women tend to be better at. Whereas I often see men walking into a situation and they sort of expect from themselves that they need to know it all and they need to have all the answers. And I think for me, as luck would have it, I went into an industry where there was no way I was going to have all the answers, but I found it to be like very easy for me to go in and just have that humility of saying, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to hire someone who's really smart and has experience in this field. And hopefully they can help me figure it out. And luckily I you know, attracted a, a team around me who are amazing, talented, super collaborative and have a lot more experience than I do. And I think that's been a key to us being able to constantly iterate and pivot and kind of continue to evolve the business that we started about five years ago.
0: I love the way that you flipped the script and positioned things that societally are seen as as weaknesses to strengths, but also a sense of humanness. I think that's a really important perspective. And I think for people for whom they may be still at the point where they're figuring out how to position themselves, how to express themselves, who to be in the space they want to occupy, I think taking inventory of the things that that people could maybe come at them for and hone that as a as a strength and use that to their advantage, I think that's something that's a really awesome piece of, of advice. And, and so thank you for, for positioning it in that way. How did you, putting your parents aside, who obviously did an amazing job raising you, how did you trust in your vision and how did you prepare yourself for those inevitable failures? Because that really does take a toll on your mental health.
1: So I think this is kind of the funny thing about entrepreneurship because it's kind of like leaping off a cliff. And so the funny thing is, is that once you leap off, you kind of just have to deal with what's there. And so I don't know that I necessarily always felt like everything was going to work out or that it was all okay. I had so many moments of feeling like this is definitely going to fail, It's definitely going to fall apart this was a disaster. I had p- other people tell me that that what I was doing was crazy and it was never going to work. But I think what happened was I basically just dug a hole and I was inside of it and I had to get out of it. And when I first came up with this idea to create the windward yard and put sellables inside of it, it was five vacant lots in the middle of a neighborhood, well, sort of on the edge of a neighborhood that really had started to take off. Um, but we were in this part of the neighborhood where people typically didn't walk or they didn't come over there. And I, when I signed the lease there, there was really no mechanism to be able to permit it or open the business legally, um, <laughs> according to the current zoning framework. But I didn't know that. And so once I had signed the papers, I kind of was just stuck in this situation where I had to figure it out. And I had to figure it out really fast because we had a short timeline. We had a really short term lease. It was sort of this thing where I think being so naive um, really forced me into a position where I committed to things. And I sort of set up this vision and I started to build the team. And then I just had to figure everything else out. And it was just sort of one step at a time. And every single day there would be new challenges and new things to learn. And I think the only way of getting through that is just really being open to learning everything, learning every piece of the business and starting to see which took me a very long time. And I've had a lot of friends and mentors help me see this, but to to start to see that every problem in the business is just inevitable and that you really need to get more solutions oriented and not get so stressed out about problems. So when I first got into this business, every time there was a problem, I would have such like a physical and emotional reaction to it, and I the stress would just take over and start like shooting through my whole body. And I think it took me a few years really, but my friend Matt Sherman, who is a really talented entrepreneur who founded a couple of local concepts in Miami, they're no longer open unfortunately, but Hugo Fresh is his most well known um, concept. And Matt um, has been an incredible mentor for me and. He really taught me a lot about the problem solution cycle, which Danny Meyer um, of Union Square Hospitality also talks about a lot. But um, it's the idea that every problem has a solution and on the other side of that is just another problem. And so you really have to start to see problems as these cues of where the business needs to go and, and, and really great pointers for how to fix things instead of as, oh my gosh, it's a problem and I need to be stressed out by said problem because ultimately the process of pivoting and iterating and improving a business over time is always going to be about solving problems. And if you don't solve them, you're going to be stagnant and then never improve and then become irrelevant. <laughs> um, and so it, it took me a while to get there. Um, but, you know, it, it being being in the space now where I can manage my um, energy a little bit better and see a problem as a gift rather than a a disaster uh, has been really helpful in that.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is one, if you ever reach rock bottom in any perspective of any project, you can only go up from there. So that's a (laughs) positive way to view it. Two, don't view it as a personal problem. And three, create things that you are accountable for so that ultimately you have to set yourself up to find the solutions to hopefully succeed. Is that, is that a fair account of, of what I heard you say?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I would say one more thing to add to that is just the idea that like Rome wasn't built in a day and really being a little bit patient. I think entrepreneurs tend to have a lot of energy and want to get everything done. And you see this vision and everything has to be perfect all the time. And I think it's important to strive for really high quality in everything that we do um, and to always like, you know, seek the highest and the best outcome, but to also have patience with yourself that it's not all gonna happen at once. And so, you know, in the beginning of my journey as an entrepreneur, I just was burning the candle at both ends. Like I would be up until two or three in the morning. I would be back up at 6:30 in the morning and I would just do this on repeat. And I was sick all the time. And I realized that it's just totally not sustainable and you can't think clearly when you behave that way. And that idea that everything is so urgent all the time is just not healthy at all. And so I had to really learn to say to myself every day, okay, like this is the best I could do today with the resources that I have at my current disposal. And that is going to be enough. And I need to acknowledge that that's enough for this day and then start again tomorrow.
0: And that takes a heck of a lot of strength because I think one of the biggest misconceptions about entrepreneurship is if you're not working 24 seven, you're not working hard enough. And it's difficult when you are your own boss you see yourself taking that downtime and you're like, well, I'm only accountable to myself, at least in the beginning stages. So we got to keep pushing through because if not, we're not going to amount to anything, but that's really not the case. And you do need to, to take care. And so what do you do for self-care?
1: So I think to your point, like the first thing is really just acknowledging that it's okay to take care of yourself. I think for probably at least the first two years that I was in business, I felt tremendous guilt about doing anything for myself and like to the point of like even sleeping felt guilty to me. Like wow. felt guilt inducing to me, which is it's crazy to say now because now I'm like way more about getting a good night's sleep and I see how it makes everything better. But I mean, I I, I would feel guilty about anything. Like I I wouldn't, I mean I remember there was one time where I went to go get a manicure. And I mean, this was like, I was working outside for probably eight months at this point. My hands were like scary looking and I went to go get a manicure and I felt so guilty about it. Like I was like, oh my gosh, if someone sees me here doing this thing for myself, oh my goodness, this would be so horrible. Um, And I felt really badly about it, which is crazy because it's just such a basic thing or going to get my haircut. I would feel really guilty about it. Um, I mean, literally anything. If I went grocery shopping for myself, I felt guilty. I mean, just it was bad. Um, And so I think it took me a really long time to just get out of that headspace and realize that if I don't take care of myself first, then everything else is going to fall apart because I can't think clearly. I can't make good decisions. I can't be kind or thoughtful about my team and their needs because I'm not doing that for myself. And therefore, it's hard for me to relate to them and what they need. And so I think there were a lot of layers to that in terms of what I've kind of learned to do over time. I think it's been a really long process, but I think first and foremost is sleep and making sure that I get go a good, good night's sleep every night. Um, and I've already talked about that a lot. So, But I think that's pretty self-explanatory and there's mm-hmm. a lot of science that backs why we need good sleep to make good decisions and be calm and patient with other people. Um, Meditation has been really important for me, and I've kind of gone through different phases and different styles of meditation and what worked what works for me and figuring out how to get into a really consistent space with it. I've done everything from a Vipassana retreat in India, which is a ten day silent meditation. and um you they ba- they basically want you to meditate for an hour every single day, which is a lot for me. I've tried a bunch of different styles and apps, but I think what works for me personally best is Ziva meditation. Um, And for me, it works really well. It's a 20 minute meditation. You can sit alone and do it by yourself and you don't need any technology, which is a massive distraction for me personally. Um, And I've also just found that meditating in the morning is really important for me because if I don't do it in the morning, then it just pretty much doesn't happen. Just having that morning routine of meditating and working out before I do anything else is probably like the most grounding um, habit for me. And then also just um, I've recognized over the past few years that I needed to work on a lot of other healing for myself in terms of just different things that have happened to me throughout my life, Um, whether it's, you know, my relationships or um, the business or just the process of being a human in this world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have found, um, I've worked with different energy healers and acupuncture has probably been um, the biggest um, influence on my life and uh, in terms of its healing power and just what it does to help me feel stable and balanced um, and kind of centered.
0: And now that you're responsible for other people, how do you claim that space and take that time for yourself? Do you literally put it in your schedule and you block off time so no one bothers you? Or do you speak openly about it and say, I have an acupuncture appointment and I need to take this time. I'll be back in an hour. How do you communicate that with your team in order to also make it safe for them and set that example that you had said was so important?
1: I'm really open about it. If I'm going to an acupuncture appointment, I'll tell people on my team I'm you know, walking to acupuncture, I won't be available for the next hour. Um, or if I get out, I'll say, hey, sorry, I was an acupuncture appointment. Um, in terms of exercising and, and meditating, for me, I found that it's really hard if I don't do it in the morning because then the day starts to just take it, run its course and my phone starts ringing nonstop. Um, the good news is, is that our business doesn't really Start um, getting really busy from a customer perspective until the afternoon because we are a lunch business, so we don't even open until eleven. Mm-hmm. So even if I work really late, I can still get up and have my morning routine without waking up at six a.m., which I'm not a, a more early morning person. So um, in some ways, I think the industry um, is a is a little bit awkward for having good pre- like mental health um, practices and a sense of separating from the business because we run six days a week and the seventh day is a Monday. So I still work all day on Mondays because there's tons of other things to do, even when the business isn't open. Um, And so there's always, there are always things going on. So I think that makes it hard because it's not a typical nine to five Monday through Friday. And then on the weekend, no one bothers you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've just tried to find my flow within that and just figure out how I can create balance within every single day, instead of feeling like I have to have this really strong segmentation between work and my personal life. Um, And with our team, we try to create a really clear management schedule with more boundaries around it. So um, people have off days and they're marked in the schedule. And again, it, it is a little bit more awkward in this industry because it's not just like, oh, we all know that everyone's off on Saturday and Sunday. Um, and so for some people who are in more operational roles, sometimes they, they still get pinged when they're supposed to be off, which is, you know, we, we try to manage that as much as we can. And, um, but I think, you know, just trying to make sure that everyone does take their vacation time and they take their days off when they have days off and that they're like having the balanced time is really important. And then, especially in light of COVID, we've just tried to be as flexible as we can with people. So some people on our team have needed to just completely retool their schedules. They needed to relocate. They needed to take leave of absences or really, um, you know, to work a fraction of the hours that they were intending to work. And we've just done whatever we can to accommodate that and to just be really open and honest with each other about what everyone needs so that everyone can have as much stability as possible because especially with the pandemic and virtual school and just tons of other factors, it's definitely a really challenging time.
0: It sounds like you really walk your talk and that is really reassuring and it sounds like you recognize and understand the human condition very well and you prioritize that in yourself and others and you uphold the importance of community that you introduced at the beginning of your business and now you continue to foster as you grow you mentioned this notion of pivoting is something that I think is a real uh, cornerstone of entrepreneurship. How do you guide someone who is coming up in the space to navigate the need for pivoting?
1: So I think it's a delicate balance because we're sort of told that you have to always listen to your customers. There, I think there's two schools of thought. I think there's the school thought of the customer always knows what's right. And you have to listen to your customers. And if they say they don't like it, you have to change it. And then the other school of thought is people don't really know what they want. And you can put them through all these focus groups and ask them a million questions and get their feedback. And then even at the end of all that, what they say they want is then how they'll actually make purchasing decisions. And I think there's kind of some wisdom in in both uh, sides of it. I think we've seen to a certain extent that our customers have really been instrumental in telling us what we're not doing right and how we need to get better. And then on the other side of it, sometimes people ask for things or they beg for things and then you give it to them and then they don't buy it or it doesn't really work out the way that you envisioned that it would. And at a certain point, you know, for example, with delibles, people have said, we want meat on the menu or we want some kind of animal protein on the menu. And I, personally, I'm not vegan, but I, you know, our our team and our concept is a vegan concept, and we've decided that for the time being, that's you know that 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 is the core of what Delibals is, and it's going to stay that way. And so I think, you know, at a certain point, you have to decide, okay, well, what are your values and what is your mission, and then that needs to be the anchor and the foundation, and then the pivoting needs to happen around that. But I think it's important to not lose your why, and that the why has to still remain the center of, of what you're doing, and your values and your culture have to be really stable despite the strategies you've used to execute on that mission and those values. I would say a similar thing um, with the yard, which is that, you know, people have other ideas for what would be nice to have at the yard. And we always are, we have to take those ideas and put them through the filter of what our purpose at the yard is. Um, But that said, we have made so many changes to the business in just the past four months since we opened our new location in downtown Doral. I think a lot of businesses may run in a way where like the owner or the founder generates all these ideas all the time. And then everyone kind of just jumps at what they propose for us. We have a very collaborative process. And so any concept that comes to our attention in terms of changes that we need to make, it's never going to just be my decision alone. It's always going to be a team generated decision Analysis, debate, discussion, and then we decide together. And you know, we don't always agree, but the majority of us need to agree that it's the right direction to try. And then also, we're just very, really we're very humble about our our iterating process, and, and what I mean by that is just that we don't expect that every new idea that we test is going to work. We just know that there's no way to know unless we test it. I'm not married to my own ideas. I, I, I'm, I think I'm a reasonably creative person, and I love to. like to create and to come up with uh, new ideas, but I'm not very emotionally attached to them at this point. Um, In terms of like an external force saying, no, you know, this isn't going to happen. I think my perspective has changed a lot over time. In the beginning, I just wouldn't take no for an answer from anyone. And I just was like so persistent. And I would just like knock on doors until people answered. And they told me, no, I would come back again. And I would beg and plead. And try to negotiate and do whatever I could um, to like, turn the no into a yes. Um, I think over time, what I started to realize is that I think a lot of times when the universe gives you a no, it is happening for a reason. When I look back and kind of connect the dots, all the things that I really wanted to happen and felt really strongly at the time like needed to happen, um, either Either they didn't happen and it turned out to be really for the better. And I can see that very clearly now, or I forced it. I forced them when it wasn't happening in a more organic way. And then it really did not turn out well. Um, And so I think over time, what I realized is that if I've put in like my authentic and honest time and energy and focus and tried to make something happen and it still isn't flowing, I just sort of trust that as, okay, this isn't meant to happen right now. Either it's going to happen later or it's not going to happen at all, and there's a reason for it. Cultivating more of that trust has been uh, a good thing for me as an individual, and I think it's been good for the business.
0: And I'm sure you'd agree that in addition to trust, it's also a matter of kind of checking your ego at the door and just recognizing when things, like you said, aren't flowing, don't take it personally. It's not a personal failing, but just trust the process and trust that the outcome is you know, going to happen in your best interest.
1: One of the best examples of that for me, just in my own experience is that when I first moved to Miami, I was really convinced that I wanted to start a brick and mortar restaurant for Mm -hmm. Dellables. And that was the business I moved here to to launch. And I spent probably eight or nine months pounding the pavement. I looked at a ton of different brick and mortar um, locations and nothing would work out. I was not able to get even close to the finishing point on a single lease for many, many reasons. And I was really demoralized. And I just felt like such a failure. And I felt like I was never going to get the business off the ground. And because I got sort of to the end of the rope in that process, then someone took me to these vacant lots in Wynwood. And through those past eight months, I had met a lot of other entrepreneurs who were facing this similar barrier that I was, which is they didn't have The right space at the right price in the right location, and so because of that whole experience, I said, okay, well, I'm going to start an incubation space for other food entrepreneurs and creators in Miami, and I'm going to do it in this really unexpected location and format because I don't really feel that there are other the other options are open to me right now. When I look back on it, it's just such a funny thing because if I had started on those vacant lots on day one, I would have laughed in. Everyone's, you know, in the broker space and said, there's no way I'm signing a lease here. What is this place? Like, there isn't even like an electrical connection. And how am I going to possibly make something work? But because the other, you know, doors were closed, and I was getting a lot of no's. By the time I got there, I was like, you know, this, this looks pretty good. And I, I remember I was there with a consultant who his name is Juan Roche, and he's still a friend. And he really helped guide me on the process. And we both just started laughing and we said, you know, after everything we've looked at, this doesn't look so bad. And so <laughs> then we sort of looked at each other and said, okay, this is what it's going to be. But it, it's just crazy to me because, you know, the, the yard and every, all the wonderful blessings that have come into my life as a result of that and the new yard that we have now in Doral and just everything else. Um, I, I can't imagine my life kind of any other way at this point. But if I, if I hadn't gotten so many other no's, I would have opened up like a standalone brick and mortar Delables in downtown Miami. And I have no idea what would have happened with it, but I don't think that it would have led me on the trajectory or the adventure that I've, you know, been blessed to have. So um when I look back and connect the dots, it's just amazing, you know.
0: Well, I think it's important to note that you need experiences in order to have perspective. So allow yourself to navigate through those experiences. And in the event that you're met with blocks, give yourself time to feel your feelings as long as that takes. And then see what's on the horizon and see why that potentially could be happening. Because Like in your case, I'm sure when you look back, you'll realize that everything lined up exactly how it needed to in order to get you to where you're meant to go. Before I let you go, I would love to hear from you. What is mental health from your perspective?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think for me, I'm still really discovering it. I think I've spent a lot of my life having pretty poor mental health in terms of the way that I talk to myself, and just my whole inner dialogue, I've sort of come, I'm 33 now. And it's really taken me this long to be to have such clarity on all the negative thought patterns that I've had um, with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think for me, I'm still really discovering it. But I guess if I could define it simply, it would be like having a really positive relationship with myself and speaking kindly and compassionately to myself all the time um, and just being at peace on the inside, what, regardless of what, what is happening around me. Just being able to really be aware of like the sensations in my body and my, my energy you know, I, I've started to build a lot of awareness recently just about stress and how I feel stress in my body. And it's funny because even a year ago, I could walk around the whole day being totally stressed and not feeling all of the physical sensations of stress and just kind of trying to brush over them instead of sitting and feeling them and then figuring out you know how to let them dissipate. So I think for me, it's it's really about just being at peace within my own body and um, my own mind. Um, and then being able to radiate that sense of peace outward so that I'm like a positive, I can, I can radiate out positive energy to the people around me and, um, and, and have that stability and clarity, um, with, with the people that I love.
0: That's amazing. Well, thank you so very much for taking the time to speak with me. I've really enjoyed every minute of it. And, uh, I wish you the best of luck in everything. I know that you're going to continue to find amazing success. And and thank you for what you've brought to Miami.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really commend you for having this conversation with the broader community. And I'm honored that you invited me to be part of this. And good luck with the whole process.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Della. If you'd like to learn more about the Doral Yard or Della Bulls, you can find information in the description box of this podcast episode. All right. Until next time.